Amber Theo Harris likes to keep herself very busy. She has <laughs> many different things she is working on. A little giggle from her, but look, she is adjunct professor at USC. She's an award-winning storyteller. She's got the Weight of Gold, which she was an executive producer for. It's an HBO program. She's also vice president of original programming for this Win Quick app that is is gaining traction. You can hear her on Westwood One, obviously Fox, and we've seen her over the years on NFL Network. Oh, and by the way, she has three kids. So, I mean, I mean, it's like, I don't know how you do it, Amber. I'm Brian Fenley, an anchor at Fox Sports Radio. And first of all, I really appreciate you doing this. And look, it's easy to laud you for all of your successes in talking about sports because your career is inspiring and it's transcendent. But I want to start with this first question here and ask about your successes in you on the sporting field. And I, I want to go back to 1996 Middletown High School Powder Puff football game. <laughs> or, by the way, I, I did some digging. I did some digging. Wow, you did two, some research. Two touchdowns? How did you pull off the two touchdowns? What, what was your you go-to know? move? I don't even remember that. I, I mean, <laughs> I where are those stats listed? That is amazing that you even have that. Um, I think I did. Uh, 1996, yeah, powder pot. Yeah, I mean, had I been a man, I think I would have been a really good football player. Um, but that was our one chance to have fun as kids. And um, yeah, of course, like if it's going to be seniors versus juniors, the seniors have to kick the juniors' butt, right? Like so, I. <laughs> I don't, as my agent says, I don't do anything half-assed. If I'm in, I'm in. So I, you know, I'm going to score two touchdowns. If I'm playing in the game, I'm going to do it. So you just came back from Cleveland where the NFL draft was held and you were working with Westwood One doing interviews with a lot of the preeminent draft picks. What did you come away from that experience in, in some of the, the key things that were said from players that, that captivated yeah. you based upon their journeys? You know, um, I love that assignment. Um, because, you know, we're sitting up here working in the NFL for so many years and we forget what a dream it is. Um, you almost take it for granted and what a dream it is for these young players. And so to be reminded every year of that one moment where they realize that forever they will be a person that was drafted to the National Football League and to see the families, you know, because right as soon as they came off the stage, I was the first interview they did after Melissa Stark on, on TV. Um, so I was the first, so they were still jumping and the family. So it was just, it was great. And what I took away from that was, um, it's funny. Sometimes I, you do all the research you can, you listen to all the mock drafts, you, you try to learn as much listening to their high school coaches and their college coaches. Um, you hear stuff about ca questionable character sometimes, and then you meet the kid and well, they're young men, I should say, but you meet <laughs> the young man and um, it's completely different than, than what has been out there in the media. And I think two things I took away from that from, from the first round was um, I really, really thought Micah Parsons, um, the linebacker taken to out of Penn State, taken to um, the Dallas Cowboys. You know, you'd heard a lot about his off the field issues, his immaturity, things like that. He was actually, when I looked back, I think he was my best interview. Wow. He had the most perspective. And I, and I think he had grown the most since going through that. But he said something really interesting. He was like, you know, if people are out there saying that in college they were perfect, then they're lying. And he's like, I had my son and I had to grow up. And um, I learned from those experiences. So to me, I was more impressed with somebody that's gone through that and, and 
made an effort to turn their life around um, rather than some of that's always, it's always been, you know, easy for them. He was very realistic. And I think that's going to help him in the NFL. So sometimes that's what I take away. The guys that you think, you know, you, you don't know. I, I, I saw a mature man. I didn't see the immaturity that everybody re- re- um, said in the, in the media. What do you think Amber is your NFL draft moment for your career? When, it was like, okay, I'm getting the recognition. I've put all of, all this work in, and now I feel sort of like I've made it, if you will. I mean, I think every every step you take along the journey, you think you've made it, right? So it's you reach a level that you never thought you would reach. You know, I'm a kid out of Middletown, Maryland. Um, I don't think anybody comes out of Middletown. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 but, you know, I'm so proud of you from where I'm from and from the family that I'm from um, and the hardworking family that I'm from. And so for me, I never took for granted the the little steps of success. I mean, I won an Emmy at 27 years old and I thought, wow, this business is easy. You know, this is great. Um, and then, you know, you don't get nominated for another 10 years. So um, I think that was a huge moment where it was like not only, you know, especially being a female in the early 2000s, you know, it wasn't as diverse the industry wasn't as diverse as far as female sportscasters as it is now. And so to win that early on against some icons, um, you know, I was up against George Michael's sports machine back then, you know, I grew up in the, the DC Baltimore area watching him. So to win in a category against some of these icons that I grew up loving made me realize, okay, you can hang, you know, you can hang at that level, you belong. But I never once thought like, oh yeah, this is awesome. I'm just going to lay back and everything's going to be easy. I've I've always thought, okay, what's next? What do I need to do next? And I think a big moment for me this year was getting my film getting nominated for um, The Weight of Gold getting nominated for an Emmy because it's different to perform other people's material, you know, as a broadcaster, um, perform for a a network and then you get recognized for that, which is great. But when you said, you know what, I'm going to do my own thing and you're sitting in your bedroom and you think of this concept yourself and it's your baby and and you go through all the growing pains with it. I was just happy to have it on HBO. I, I could not believe when people called, what was it, two weeks ago and said, congrats on the nomination. I was like, for what? It's been COVID. I haven't really done much sports. And it was for the movie. So that was that was an amazing feeling for me. Where did you do your best thinking in, in terms of planning out for that documentary? In my, in my bedroom, where you guys are here right now. Welcome to my bedroom. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I have a, my own office, you know, that I run my production company out of and I run WinQuick out of. Um, but I think sometimes for me, it's, you know, maybe I'm Kanye West in the sense the middle of the night, late at night after the kids have gone to bed. I just can't go to bed sometimes because I have all these thoughts and this creativity in my head. And that's where I think some of the best work that I've done happens because I think it's when I'm just most true to myself and it's quiet and I can really listen to what's inside. And, you know, I, I tell my students at USC, it's, it's the stories you think about late at night. It's the stories that, you know, kind of keep you up and you're like, man, does anybody know about this? As, as a storyteller, you want to tell the stories that aren't being told. Um, and I, the weight of gold w- was that for me. It was, you know, I've struggled with mental health issues in, in my life, um, especially postpartum after all of my children. And to see a mammoth like Michael Phelps have the courage to come out and talk about his struggles with mental health. Um, it was really a sense, a mission, a crusade and a sense of purpose to make sure that that film saw the, the light of day. And, um, and it did. And I think, I hope we helped some people. Yeah. I'm really excited to see as more and more people see this, how 
much of a, a great opportunity this was for you to showcase your array of different talents and how creative you are. I wanted to touch on, on your daughter, Dylan, and, and how hard it was to bring her in this world and how it took so much inner strength from her, from you and your family, and, and just the amount of, of work that it took to bring her into this world. As you know, there was a whole lot of struggles that, that came with that. Yeah, I get emotional still thinking about it. She's 10 now and she's healthy and wonderful. But, you know, we went through a lot with Dylan. Dylan, uh, I was going to September call-ups for the Orioles, the Baltimore Orioles. I was gonna, I was going to Camden Yards to interview the new players coming up from the minors. Full eyelashes, makeup, ready to go on TV. And I, and I went into labor at 23 weeks. Um, for people that don't know, a full pregnancy is 40 weeks. Um, so it was way, way early um, barely, really not even on the cusp. I mean, some babies have lived younger than that, but really not a lot, a chance if she was going to come out that day. And so, um, you know, with the grace of God, with my family, with, you know, we had a lot of support. I laid in a hospital bed for five weeks in labor the whole time, um, really trying to hold her in and the medications would like stop the labor. And then, you know, we went through this dance and I, I laid in a bed with my feet in the air without moving, um, without going to the bathroom on my own, without anything, literally had to stay in the bed and could not move for five weeks straight. So talk about a mental, physically mental. I mean, it, I'll, I, I hope I never have to go through something like that again. I was tested very young in my marriage. My first, you know, my first uh, experience with motherhood, I had no idea. Um, but I think until you don't know, I'm gonna cry, you don't know your own strength until someone looks at you and says, your child's probably not gonna make it. That's um, it's probably one of the worst things that can happen. And, um, and even the, somebody that doesn't consider themselves strong, you find a strength somehow because you have to hold on to hope. Um, and so I, when they said that, they gave me a percentage. They said she'll have about a 30% chance of living. And if she lives, she won't have a, a good quality of life, a high functioning quality of life. And I just, I don't know where it came from, um, but I just looked at the doctor and I said, that's a statistic you don't know me and you don't know my daughter. So there's, and, and I, and I take that lesson I learned from that. And I try to teach younger people that, that, or any of my friends, you know, you might be not diagnosed with a disease, something might happen and somebody gives you a statistic. That's the average of what typically happens in that situation. But there's no amount of science or mathematics that can quantify will. Yes. That, you know, they can quantify will, they can quantify, um, you know, your spiritual beliefs, you know, all the things that all the intangibles that go into um, maybe coming through a situation like that. And, um, and they didn't know my daughter and she came out at two pounds and she fought and she fought and she fought. And, um, you know, it was a tough couple, you know, first year, especially. And, um, but now she's everything they said she wouldn't be. They said she wouldn't be strong. She wouldn't be an athlete. She's she's big for her, her age. She loves sports. So she, I, I think children are here to teach us. And um, she taught me so much, you know, before she was even born. And she, you know, I, I watch her sleep at night and I, I just thank God that she's here. She taught me a lot. I like what you said about the whole stats. When I, when I was a kid, my dad got diagnosed with cancer. And it was within a year or two that the doctor said he's, he's not going to make it, you know, now he lasted five years. So he, he was able to prolong his experience and wasn't able to be there for like my, my sister's wedding or, or all these things that we had dreamed about him being at, but at least he was able to be there longer 
than like yeah. you said, what the doctor said. It wasn't a statistic. He it didn't fall into that range. Yeah. And like you said, you can't judge the will. You can't judge the determination and, and the love. I think that these are things that you can't quantify. What other instances in your life, Amber, in, in how you've had to display that strength you talked about you know helping dylan get into this life and and now that she's healthy where are other moments where you've really had to dig deep because you certainly have some really hard-nosed inner strength where you've had to, to to utilize that in other instances of your life yeah i think you never stopped using that you know whether you know whether it's your mom getting diagnosed with cancer which happened to my mom you know and, and dealing with that or um you know, dealing with stuff that, you know, comes with being a woman in, in professional sports, a lot of the sexism, a lot of the, um, you know, things that happen to you that aren't fair, um, having the ability, and it took me a long time to learn that, you know, to not get caught up in how unfair it is, because it is what it is, but to think, how can I make it better? And how can I work around it to, to still show up every day, you know? Um, my idol is Cal Ripken. I just did, I was just a part of his, his gala that he does to raise money for you sports. And, um, you know, the Ironman showed up every day. He sh and, and no matter what happened, he showed. And so that's kind of what I want to preach to younger women is they want you to quit. They want to break your spirit sometimes. And it does, you know, this business can, the stuff that is said to you, the stuff that is done to you. Um, but if you go away, they win. Um, you know, and if you and if you show up every day um, and your face is still there on air, your articles are still being published, your work is still out there, you're a beacon of light for people that are coming behind you. So it took me a lot of, you know, some of the inner strength you talk about, but just maturing and um, realizing that you can't be angry about, you know, that it's unfair. Um, I think that happens to people of color. It happens to people, you know, that the, the LGBTQ community, it happens. There's a lot of discrimination out there and especially in specific professions. And um, instead of being mad and, and going into sticking your head in the sand, um, try to carry that responsibility for the next wave of people like you that are coming and try to make, a, try to make it better. And the way that you make it better is by showing up. How much pressure do you have or how much pressure do you put on yourself in being a pioneer? I, see, I don't see myself as a pioneer. Um, yes, I went through a lot, um, but I look at, you know, Gail Gardner and I look at Linda Cohn and I look at Liz, Leslie Visser. Um, those women to me, if I, for every instance that I had or every scenario that I really felt like, wow, this is brutal, you know, they had it 10 times as worse. So, I try to always think about the shoulders. I don't see myself as a pioneer. I see myself as like a torchbearer. Um, I see myself as I stand on the shoulders of those women. Um, and I can't let them down. And, um, and I don't want to let down the ones that come behind me. I don't know why I'm emotional. You got me talking about my daughter. <laughs> um, but I take, that's why I, you know, I teach is because I want, you know, the women I mentioned, they kicked the door open for me. I helped keep the door open. I wasn't going to let it close. And I want to hold the door open for the ones that are coming behind me. And I want them to be ready when they get here. So I'm very real with my students. Um, I, I let them know, I think you'll have it better than me. I hope you did. Because what, what, what was all my fight for if you don't have it better than me? Um, 
but you're still going to have things that men don't have to deal with. And I try to teach them how to, to deal with that and how to use that anger and how to use that pain and that hurt in a positive way um, to, to kind of keep the torch lit, keep it going. I want to ask you about someone who opened the door for you, Lee Thornton. And you, you're just gonna have me crying through this whole interview. What's going on? I was like, well, well, I'm so... talking about the draft. We're gonna get. I, I want to ask you a little no, bit I more. I love obviously. it. You did your research. I, I did. Sure. I don't want to waste your time because I know no, this how is busy wonderful. your life yeah. is. So I want to make sure that I do what I can to represent you in the best way possible. But you, you had mentioned on Twitter recently just how much she had changed your life, given you the hope to make it in this business. So how much of what you're doing is to not let her down? I think, I think everything I do is to not let her down. Um, again, if I don't succeed, like what was her fight for? Um, she was one of the first African-American women, not just women, but African-American women to cover the White House as a journalist. I can't even imagine what she went through. And for people at home that don't know, she was um, Dr. Lee Thornton, you know, one of the first African-American female journalists that went on to be a professor at the University of Maryland. And that's how she became my mentor in journalism. Um, but I, I do what I do. I think I teach because of her, because I said to her one day, I said, how can I, how can I repay you? <laughs> like, I just feel like you've given me a given, given. And she said, just one day, just, just give it to someone else. Um, and she's, she's not with us anymore. Um, but she was one of the first people to, to like make me believe that I could write. She really, you know, said, you know, you can do this. If, if you, if you work really hard, you can do it. And that was, you know, I didn't know I had that talent. I, you know, you almost have to have somebody say that. So I make a point to my students now to really point out specific talents that I see. And I want them to leave my class saying, well, I can do this. I know I can because Amber said I could. Um, and, and, and also I think she taught me how to be realistic. She really prepared me for what I was up against. Even though you're never prepared, you still can't believe some of the stuff that happens to you and it's 2015, 2016. But you know, she prepared me for, um, for reality and I remember her saying okay she, she drew this diagram on the board it was like a funnel and she said here's all all of the journalism students that are going to come out of uh colleges this year um and then here's the bottom of the funnel like less than one percent of you will ever make it to a national level any kind of national outlet and um I remember like having a conversation that really affected me because I said well if less than 1% is going to do it, there has to be somebody in that less than 1%. Like, why can't it be me? And having that conversation with her and her saying, you have to believe it can be you or else you, you shouldn't be here. Because re- like from a sanity standpoint, from a realistic standpoint, you're probably not going to make it. Um, but you have to be a little bit insane and think, <laughs> again, numbers don't apply. That maybe maybe it will be me. Um, and I just loved her. And um, I think anybody that had her, had her as a professor is very lucky to have her. And um, I try to do right by her, by being the best that I can be in, as a journalist and also a, a, the best professor that I can be and try to give everything to my students like she gave to me. Amber Thew Harris is with us. I'm Brian Fenley. Such powerful words from Amber. You're, you certainly were lucky to have her in your life and you 
were lucky to have your grandfather in your life. I saw how he and you had given a little tribute to him in terms of just his courageous acts during World War II. And I would love to, to discuss with you sort of what you take from those experiences as far as building up your own strength and the characteristics that he exuded that you try to carry with yourself. And the, the funny thing about that is that um, my grandfather, George, my papu, um, he was a Greek immigrant. He, I never knew him. He actually died before I was born. I was my, I thought you were mentioning my other grandfather, but my my dad's dad did fight in World War II. And what I've taken from him is tremendous. That's been passed down as the immigrant experience in America. Um, you know, I don't think it was easy for him to come here, you know, on a boat by himself with just his brothers when he was, you know, 18. And then to be fighting for the United States just three years later. And his story is amazing. He, he took his brothers here escaping the Nazis in 1939 when, um, his mother had just died in childbirth. His father was gone, and uh, and and he was one of the few people in the village that could read and could uh, knew that something bad was coming. Um, and he and he left, and he came here, and then left all of his family, his cousins, everything behind. Knew that the country was invaded. Knew that they were under occupation, and knew that the only way to fight back was to enlist in the U.S. Army. And um, I get. I get really, really angry at the anti-immigrant sentiment that um, some of our former leaders have, have put out there because it's who we are. Um, it's, it's who we are, it's the best of who we are. People that came here and believed so much in this country and loved this country so much that they were willing to get their, give their lives for it. And um, I think that strength is handed down through generations and maybe that's where I get um, some of some of my strength for from i want to where do you get sort of shifting gears here where do you get that entrepreneurial spirit because i want to ask you about this trivia app that you're doing it and you work <laughs> and you do this with with pooch hall and, and how is this thing growing it's awesome um to answer your first question the entrepreneurial spirit i think it's it is the the immigrant you know background experience in america it is the you know coming from family we had what we needed but we didn't have everything we wanted my parents worked hard and gave us a wonderful life but i think it, it's the american experience right you you think well god gave me some talents and god gave me some smarts so i want to I, I got one shot at this life why don't i just try it um and i and my entrepreneurial spirit i think comes from a tremendous ability to not care if i fail um but that took a long time to get there so again if why not give it a shot Maybe it won't work out, but I'll probably learn something doing it in the end. And so that's been the approach I took about four or five years ago after my third child was born. I went through a lot of issues, um, you know, with, with maternity leave and all this stuff. And I was just like, you know what, let me start to do my own thing on the side because I don't want to be beholden to any one network ever. So uh, I was lucky NFL Network kind of was relaxed with me and let me do some other things. That's where the weight of gold was born. But um, and that just led to, man, I love doing my own stuff. And I love coming up with an idea and then seeing if I can make it happen in Hollywood or seeing if I can make it happen in the tech world. And that's what WinQuick was. I was I got a great opportunity from Clickstream Corporation to head production. I'm the VP of production at, at a WinQuick app. And it's a trivia app. And um, 
it's it's doing really well. It has no C in it, by the way. If you're going to download it, it's win quick, one word with no C. I always have to explain this. That that name was made up for me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I might have put a C in it. I don't know. Um, but then we have I a connection came across my desk with Pooch Hall, and I loved him and Ray Donovan, and I loved him. Uh, everybody knows him from the game, of course, for all those years, and. He thought that the idea was wonderful and he's like, sure, I'll do some hosting for you. And now we've become really close friends with me producing him and we've developed this wonderful app on Thursdays. We have the big game where you can log on at 930 Eastern and you can play with Pooch. Pooch asks you questions, you answer them as fast as you can. And if you've answered these 10 questions faster than everybody else in the world, and, and trust me, we have people in multiple countries, um, we put money right in your PayPal account. You split the, the pot. Uh, with, and it's free to play. It's not gambling or anything. It's free to play. Um, and then we've added some other game types, you know, where you can play. You can, I could challenge you one versus one in, yeah. in uh, any topic you would like that is on the app. I can play by myself. So you can, we just added the ability to win money by playing by yourself or by beating your friends, which I think is really cool. And then you'll love this being kind of a sports guy that uh, in June, we're adding a game type that's predictive uh, sports analysis so you predict what's going to happen that day in sports and if you're right you win free money so we're growing and um i love seeing that like people in korea people in japan people in india will reach out to me and say hey i love your app and um pooch is doing a great job of performing it so another random project i said yes to and said maybe i can make it better maybe i can add something to it and we're, we're growing if you were to set up a trivia on your life what would be the hardest question that, it, it, that that's really fascinating about you that it would be really hard for people to get or that oh. you haven't said something from your career, something that you've done, an interview you've done? Gosh, I'm an open book, so I don't know. <laughs> well, they wouldn't know I played in powder puff football. There we think. go. <laughs> um, I think people are surprised to find out because I'm working on a I'm working on a musical project right now with um, the CEO, former CEO of Virgin Records, Phil Quartararo. He also ran Warner Brothers Music. So working with this like mega music record exec. And then there's me. Um, I think people would be surprised to know that I can read and write music. I grew up playing music. Um, I was in a dance company. So that was all a big part of my life. But sports just took over as I got a little bit older, but it's kind of cool to pull that out of my childhood, that that talent that I never developed a lot and, and be able to kind of hang with some big dogs to do um, some really, a, a really cool project coming up here. Well, first of all, Aaron, or Amber, you are, you know, a big shot. So to, to say you're hanging <laughs> out with them, it's like hanging out with yourself. And then no, this, this comes down to like the that. fact that like you're, you're, you're versatile. Like you said, like this is what makes you so successful is being able to tap into so many different platforms. I wanted to leave you with this last question. And Amber Harris, Theo Harris is with us. I'm Brian Fenley and anchor at Fox Sports Radio. I, I was, I saw the story about Orlando Brown and how, mm -hmm. I think you told it, what was it, Pro Bowl 2020? Yeah. and Or tw from 2004 when his dad's Humvee truck broke down in the highway. Like, like t what was all this? I, this was fascinating. I, th I think there's a point in your career, right, where you stop and you go, I'm old. Like, I've been doing this a <laughs> long time. And one of those moments was at the Pro Bowl, uh, the last Pro Bowl we had where media could actually cover it, 2020. Um, and I see Orlando Brown Jr., Zeus Jr., who... 
um, of course, was a raven. So I was talking to Eric DaCosta and, you know, being with that organization for so long, it was like a reunion. And I just went up to him and I said, you know, I knew your father and your father would be very proud of you because his father's passed away. Um, and he's like, you knew my dad? And I said, yeah, I, I covered your dad. And um, I said, I actually knew you as a little boy. <laughs> I, uh, I tried to help you guys on the side of the road. So, yeah, I was out at training camp. And he was eight years old. Zeus Jr. was eight years old. His dad was the ta a tackle for the Ravens. And I, I would, it's a long drive from where training camp is back to, to Baltimore City. So everybody kind of goes that way. And on the side of the road, I, you can't miss it. It's a huge Humvee that or Orlando Brown Sr. had. And him and his kids were sitting outside of it. And it was broken down. I'm like a broke, you know, journalist just starting out. And I had a Chevy Cavalier, a two-door Chevy Cavalier, if you remember those cars. They were tiny. And so I pulled over and I remember being like, hey, do you need help? And then we all kind of laughed because it was like, well, what are you going to like, what are you going to put Zeus into the, and his kids into your little <laughs> tiny car? And, um, and then I said, you know what, I, nobody's going to fit. I'll just go up, to, you know, and I'll call ahead and, and I'll make sure that somebody comes and gets you. And so I guess somebody came and got him. But it's funny. He goes, I remember you were the lady that, that came and helped <laughs> us. I, I remember that. And. So um, ever since then, we've kind of had a, a little relationship on social media and stuff where I, I just am so happy for him. I kind of feel like I need to look out for him because I was friends with his dad. And um, I'm, I hate that he's not with the Ravens, but I, I, I wish him luck in Kansas City. But yeah, that was a I'm old moment because here's not only a boy that's grown that I knew as a child, but he's like, you know, starting tackle for the Baltimore Ravens and a pro bowler. <laughs> Amber life comes full circle. And once again, this shows sort of your, your giving mindset and how you always like to help others. That has been a trademark of your brand and why you are so beloved in this industry and why you are having so much success. Amber Theo Harris on Twitter at Amber Theo Harris. Most importantly, go download the app win quick app. We were talking about yes. it. Get on it, everybody. Let's build this thing up. I'm Brian Fenley and anchor Fox sports radio. I'm on Twitter at Brian Fenley, Amber, Thank you for a couple minutes of your time and sharing your story, which is very inspiring. I appreciate you. Brian, thanks so much. And you know what? I appreciate you for um, such a meaningful interview. I've interviewed a lot and um, not a lot of people do that kind of a deep dive into my life. So, th so thank you very much for your time as well.